Listen, there's a great work to be done. As soon as you win this court battle, you must deliver this message. Take advantage of this opportunity and declare a powerful message to this world. He expects more of us. He believes we can do more. Who's going to stop Christ? Who's going to stop Christ from getting this work done? This is Behind the Work. Welcome to Behind the Work. I'm Grant Turgeon. Thanks for joining me today. Almost all history in the Bible is prophecy. Philadelphia Church of God Pastor General Gerald Flurry has emphasized this quite a lot in recent Key of David television programs. It's actually one of the most important things for us to remember when we study the Bible. If we don't understand this, we are practically asleep and we miss out on so many important lessons and warnings to us today. Now, one of the most interesting characters in Bible history who is also relevant in Bible prophecy is Zerubbabel. Now, I'll just try to give you a bit of simple background here. The Jews went into captivity for breaking the Sabbath day and idolatry mainly from 604 to 585 BC under attack by Babylon and eventually 585 BC was when all of them were finally transported into slavery. And as the Persian Empire conquered Babylon, the Jews were still a subject people. But God actually worked a miracle on the mind of King Cyrus of Persia. He opened this Gentile king's mind and inspired Cyrus to want to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. Just incredible how this happened. This proclamation from Cyrus of Persia is at the beginning of the biblical book of Ezra as well as at the end of the book of Chronicles. Cyrus said anyone who wants to can leave and go help build up the temple in Jerusalem. And that's because Babylon didn't just take the Jews captive, they wiped out the city and the temple. Cyrus rebuilt the whole city, but the focus here regarding Zerubbabel is on God's house, on the temple. Back in the March-April 2006 Royal Vision magazine, Mr. Flurry wrote about Zerubbabel the builder, and he said the central personality in rebuilding the second temple was Zerubbabel. The first temple was built by King Solomon, was just an absolutely glorious temple, the finest materials in the whole world. Neighboring nations actually passionately supported this building project. The second temple under Zerubbabel was not quite as physically spectacular, and yet perhaps the building of it was even more miraculous. Because again, 
God inspired a Gentile king to allow this to happen. To basically let Zerubbabel lead a group of about 50,000 people and many thousands of animals out of Persia, out of Babylon, and into Jerusalem. This was the first group of Jews who returned to the city, and they had a big job to do. Here's what Mr. Fleury wrote about all these people returning to Jerusalem after being enslaved. The experience of returning from captivity to Jerusalem must have been very emotional for these men. They knew Israel's history and what had happened to the temple. In many ways, their lives revolved around the temple. He's mainly talking about the leaders, Zerubbabel, Joshua, the, the temple prophets, Haggai and Zechariah there. As they entered Jerusalem, they saw David's palace reduced to a heap of ashes. They gazed upon the defiled sepulchers. They walked the empty streets. They must have pondered the times when David had celebrated and danced before God in the holy city. They must have considered the period of Solomon's magnificent reign when Israel's majesty was peerless and all the surrounding nations were petty by comparison. Surveying this devastation must have been a little humiliating for Zerubbabel. His mind would have been filled with mighty memories. Yet here he was, returning with a little remnant of Jewish slaves to rebuild the temple of God. So you get here a picture of the former glory of Israel and later of Israel and Judah once the nations split in two. Both nations were powerful and influential for a time, but even just the fact that the nations split in the first place was a bad sign of things to come. Israel went into captivity, then later on Judah went into captivity, the Jews being from that nation of Judah. So when Zerubbabel and around 50,000 people returned to Jerusalem, they were a recent, a recent slave people. Once members of one of the most powerful, influential nations in the world, and now returning from slavery, returning to their capital city that had been demolished. Quite a change for these people. And as Mr. Fleury points out here, what we're reading about in this history from the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, especially from all we learn about Zerubbabel in the books of Haggai and Zechariah, that's not just history. Haggai and Zechariah were prophets. Prophets prophesy. And a lot of what we learn about Zerubbabel is in those prophetic books. Haggai and Zechariah. And Mr. Fleury is talking about the end-time educator and theologian, the founder of the Worldwide Church of God, Herbert W. Armstrong. And he says here, Mr. Armstrong built a temple. He restored all things. He created a system within the church whereby God's message could be disseminated throughout the entire earth. 
he engineered a vast temple structure that serviced a mighty work of God, empowered by the prayers, treasure, and labor of God's people. So the point here is there was an ancient Zerubbabel, but there's also an end-time Zerubbabel who has already been on the scene, did incredible things in God's church to reach the entire world with God's true gospel message. Mr. Armstrong wrote a lot about this parallel, about this principle of duality, where there might be one instance, one historical event or personality in the Bible, and how there can be an end-time type of that, or how maybe prophecy can be fulfilled once anciently and again in the end time, how history can repeat itself. This is such a crucial principle of the Bible, this principle of duality. Mr. Armstrong here, writing about an end-time Zerubbabel, said in uh, March of 1981, Remember, God does things in dual stages. As Zerubbabel built the first temple of material stone, wood, and other materials, he was a forerunner or type of one through whom Christ would raise up or build the spiritual temple. His church of our time, prior to the day of the Lord and Christ's second coming. So there's a physical temple. You have the first temple anciently under Solomon, the second one under Zerubbabel. Then there's a spiritual temple. This is not a physical building. This is God's church. This is a body or spiritual family made up of thousands of members around the world, all united behind one cause. Mr. Armstrong continued, As John the Baptist prepared the way in the physical wilderness of the Jordan River for the first coming of the human Jesus, then coming to his material temple, and to his physical people, Judah, announcing the kingdom of God to be set up more than 1,900 years later, so God would use a human messenger in the spiritual wilderness of 20th century religious confusion to be a voice crying out the gospel of the kingdom of God about the spiritual Christ coming in supreme power and glory to his spiritual temple to actually establish that spiritual kingdom of God. So he's talking about Zerubbabel, and he's also talking about John the Baptist back before Christ the first time, and another man fulfilling that role in this end time before Christ's second coming. Mr. Fleury comments on this statement by Mr. Armstrong. Did Mr. Armstrong think one man would and did fulfill this prophecy? Absolutely. In this same co-worker letter, he speaks of one, a human messenger, a voice, a one-man leadership, and then it ends by asking, has anyone else done it? This is history that becomes prophecy. It's relevant to today because there is an end-time type of Zerubbabel. Now, he died in 1986, but to this day, there is a work on earth that continues in that tradition, continues building the way that God inspired Mr. Armstrong to build.
Mr. Flurry draws the parallel between the ruins in Jerusalem when these captives returned to rebuild the temple or to build the second temple to the ruins in God's church. Throughout Mr. Armstrong's life, he was surrounded by traitors, people who were just waiting for him to die. Mr. Armstrong described them as vultures, just circling him, eager for him to die so they could take over. There was a rebellion in the 1970s. Many ministers betrayed God at that time. They attempted to set up a whole different set of church doctrines without Mr. Armstrong's knowledge. And this rebellion even culminated in the state of California attacking the worldwide church of God and trying to seize all the assets, shut down the campus there in Pasadena. But that's nothing compared to the spiritual wasteland after Mr. Armstrong died and how the church was just quickly torn apart, doctrine by doctrine, and all of the resources for doing God's work were sold off or torn down The church even came close to tearing down a house for God that Mr. Armstrong had built on that campus. And eventually they didn't do that. But that house today has no meaning because the people there have rebelled. That physical house for God is no longer a house for God because it's not used for that purpose. Mr. Flurry wrote, We build as close as possible to the way Mr. Armstrong did, following the blueprint he left for us. So you probably know this is not called the Worldwide Church of God. This is the Philadelphia Church of God. These are people who had to leave because Mr. Armstrong's successors betrayed his lifelong legacy and his lifelong mission. They destroyed everything he built. And that's exactly the way that evil people, evil spirit beings do things. They never build. They never create anything. You can see that in society as well. The people who are tearing down are evil. They're incapable of building anything. So they just have to cannibalize what's already there. So the loyal people after Mr. Armstrong had to leave that church to be able to continue building the way he did, the way God inspired him to. Anciently, Zerubbabel was constantly harassed by enemies surrounding Jerusalem. You can see a lot of that in Ezra chapters 4 and 5. They were asking to see his papers. They were asking by what authority he was building. After Cyrus, after King Cyrus was gone, they tried to trouble him and make the subsequent kings in Persia search through the historical records to even prove 
that Zerubbabel had the authority to build the second temple. There was even a delay for 15 years in building that temple because King Artaxerxes decreed it. He was influenced by these attackers of the work in Jerusalem to command that the work be stopped. Now, under Mr. Armstrong, the most vicious attacks against God's work never resulted in the work stopping for 15 years. But look what happened after he was gone. Mr. Flurry wrote, look how God's enemies can frustrate the work with such things. Ezra 4, verse 21, that's the decree from Artaxerxes. And it said, by this order, these people were able to stop the work for 15 years. Can you believe that? These, these poor Jews who had just been in captivity for most of their lives, or all of their lives, some, some of the younger ones, and then they finally get to come back to Jerusalem and build the temple, and they're delayed. But a big reason for that was the people's lax attitude toward building. Haggai came on the scene at the end of this 15-year delay, and he didn't like what he saw. This prophet of God strongly corrected the Jews in Jerusalem for their wrong priorities. It's right there at the beginning of the book of Haggai. You can see Haggai 1 verse 2, thus speaks the eternal of hosts, saying, This people say, the time is not come, the time that the eternal's house should be built. So the people may have been discouraged by King Artaxerxes delaying the building project, but they might have also kind of wanted to focus on other things anyway. They said, well, I guess it's not time yet. We don't need to build urgently because we have other things to focus on. And as the prophet Haggai exposed, these Jews were focused on building nice houses for themselves. They cared more about building their own houses than they did about building God's house. Mr. Armstrong actually read the book of Haggai and took correction from that as well. He, he saw that on the campus in California, they were building all kinds of other buildings. And yet they hadn't even talked about building a physical house for God. And so Mr. Armstrong put a stop to that very quickly, and he did make it a top priority for the work. A physical house for God. A place that would showcase the very best of the human spirit in a world-renowned concert series. Even the name of that building, Ambassador Auditorium, reminded people of the purpose of God's work, of the supporters of God's work being ambassadors for Christ to the entire world. And Mr. Armstrong spoke in that building, giving many life-changing messages. 
saving spiritual lives, that house for God dramatically moved forward the work. And that took place in the 70s, just before Mr. Armstrong died. But the work really did improve drastically in its influence and its reach after God's house was built. But again, there's a physical house and there's a spiritual house. Even more important than a physical building is the people who support the work. So as as much as Satan would try to stop the work, there was never a 15-year delay like there was anciently with these enemies of the ancient Zerubbabel. Haggai 2 points out how a lot of the people were sad that the second temple wasn't as physically beautiful as the first one. And Mr. Flurry said, in many ways, our work doesn't compare with what Mr. Armstrong did. So there are a lot of parallels. The work today is a lot smaller than it was under Mr. Armstrong. We're following that example because God was, was backing Mr. Armstrong every step of the way. That's why we are trying to follow that blueprint. But the work isn't nearly as big. And how could it be with all of the distractions today? All of the the comforts that are available that never were available until recently to just draw people away from God's truth. The Bible says that this last group would just be a little loyal remnant. Only a tiny number of God's people would stay loyal through that church rebellion after Mr. Armstrong died. That's just the sad fact of it. Now, Mr. Flurry has also taken great instruction from the book of Haggai and saw a prophecy about an end-time physical house for God being built as well. And this has also taken place. Here on the campus of Herbert W. Armstrong College in Edmond, Oklahoma, we have Armstrong Auditorium. Just think about the names of the campus and the the house for God there. Just another reminder of our job to continue what God started through Mr. Armstrong. And as Haggai points out, this house shakes the nations. The message coming out of God's house is a jolt to the entire world. There is a lot of hope in this message, but there has to be a warning element too as everything around us is falling apart. Haggai 2 verse 23 says, In that day, says the Eternal of hosts, will I take you O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, says the Eternal, and will make you as a signet, for I have chosen you, says the Eternal of hosts. So this is saying that God would actually remove the end-time Zerubbabel. 
He would take Mr. Armstrong out of the way and give a signet or a stamp of his authority in his place. And the PCG today has that signet. PCG today does obey God, follow his law, does follow that blueprint that God established under Mr. Armstrong, is rebuilding all the major aspects of the work that Mr. Armstrong raised up, all the various means of reaching the world through print, through radio, through television, through this extra means of the internet that Mr. Armstrong never could access because it didn't really exist at that time. But even the buildings, even the campuses, even the aircraft, even the personal appearance campaigns, just building as Mr. Armstrong did with that stamp, that signet of Zerubbabel's authority. The only group that is continuing what was established. The law and government that Mr. Armstrong established in the church. This is where God is working today, and it's pretty obvious. Zechariah 4 has another prophecy that tells us a little bit more about the end time Zerubbabel. Verse 6, Then he answered and spoke unto me, saying, This is the word of the Eternal unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Eternal of hosts. This is not to give glory to a man or to mindlessly follow a man. The whole power behind the end times Zerubbabel was God's Holy Spirit, God backing him. And that's why we place great value on continuing what he started. Anciently, Zerubbabel led a miraculous rebuild of the temple, which was just part of rebuilding the entire city of Jerusalem. Mr. Armstrong in this end time rebuilt, restored all things, all true Bible doctrine to God's church, the way of reaching the world with that message. And today, God's church, the Philadelphia Church of God, is raising the ruins. Amos 9 verse 11, raising up what the rebels tore down, following the blueprint of the end times the Rubbabel, the builder. Thanks so much for listening today. I'm Grant Turgeon. This has been Behind the Work. You've been listening to Behind the Work. Email your thoughts to comments at kpcg.fm. Listen for a new episode each Monday at 1130 a.m. Central Time 